Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media and a contributing writer on CIO.com, where I write about boardroom and career strategy issues for technology leaders. Our sponsor for today's episode is Fairfax County, Virginia's Economic Development Authority. Innovation and opportunity is what Fairfax County has to offer. And you're invited to start or relocate or establish your business in this global technology hub outside of Washington, D.C. The corporate community there is accomplishing mission-critical work and making the world a better place. You can learn more at fairfaxcountyeda.org. We're streaming to you now on LinkedIn and YouTube. And we truly invite our guests that are watching and listening today to send in your questions and join our conversation. Our editors will be watching for those questions and passing them along to me and to today's guest, who is Paul Beswick, the CIO of Marsh McLennan. Marsh McLennan is a Fortune 500 global professional services firm with $20 billion in annual revenue and more than 80,000 employees of advising clients around the world in 130 different countries. The firm is comprised of four operating companies, Marsh, Guy Carpenter, Mercer, and Oliver Wyman. And they offer everything from risk advisory services and insurance solutions to retirement, capital investment strategies, and management consulting. Paul was appointed CIO in January of 2021, and he oversees more than 4,000 technologists who are supporting the company and its four global businesses. Before his current role, he was the global head of the digital practice at Oliver Weinman, and he spent 23-plus years at the company working in various sectors and doing management consulting and work in retail, transportation, telecom, and consumer goods. It's great to have you here today, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Mary Fran. It's such a pleasure to be able to do this in person as well. Isn't it? It feels so amazing. I just want to, I keep wanting to call attention to like, look, 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 we're in person. We're around a table here in Needham, Massachusetts. It's very exciting. Okay, let's start. Um, Marsh McLennan's business is complex and global. So start us out at that 30,000 foot view of how the businesses have been doing around the world and what how your customers are faring through these as we enter year three of what we hope is a soon to be wrapping up pandemic, but one never knows. Yes. So I, so I started this role about six weeks before the pandemic started, and I'm sure we'll get later to the uh, the arc of that story um, yes. for us. But Marsh McLennan... Um, is uh, is the company that I've given my career to. I actually started as a mm-hmm. su- as a summer job out of university um, originally, right. and um, uh, as you as you noted at the beginning, I've been here for twenty five years now. Yeah, um, I was very fortunate that my first year as CIO was the year we celebrated our hundred and fiftieth anniversary. Um, when we got mm. to ring the closing bell at the New York Stock Exchange. And it was probably our most successful year ever over wow. the course of that 150 years. Nice. Um, so while it's been an incredibly challenging environment in terms of keeping ourselves operating efficiently mm-hmm. um, and and dealing with the fact that everybody's been remote, um, it's been a remarkable um, 
period of time uh, for the firm as a whole across all of those businesses. Yes. Well, and, and that makes sense too, because there are so many issues and problems that companies have to solve. And everyone has been in some form or another of isolation trying to do it. Absolutely. And yeah. our focus is on risk, it's on strategy, and it's on people. And all of those are enormous issues for yeah. every big company around the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is the first time you've been a full-blown CIO, but you have been working in technology and risk strategy for quite a while. Talk a little bit about coming into the CIO role and maybe start with why you wanted to be a CIO after 25 years of all sorts of other successful business roles. Why I was persuaded that I wanted to be a CIO. Persuaded. You were talked (laughs) into it, were you? I was. So yeah, so I I was with Oliver Wyman um, since I left university Mm -hmm. and I worked in a lot of different areas. But uh, early on, I started to focus on the retail sector. And the yep. retail sector is still an area that's enormously fascinating to me because it's such mm-hmm. a low margin, highly competitive business mm-hmm. that every little bit of edge that you can get is enormously important for how effective you can be and how competitive you are. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the work that we did over that time was very focused on using the enormous amounts of data that retailers collect. Of course. And using that to help make all those thousands of daily decisions a little bit better that would allow you to eke out a few more tenths of points of, of margin mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and allow you to, to be successful and, and survive in an incredibly competitive marketplace. That got me interested in that whole area. Mm-hmm. And over time, um, the capabilities that we'd built within the retail practice, which I ran in North America for about eight years, mm-hmm. uh, started to show that they were more generally valuable to a lot of our clients in many, many different sectors. So we created a team that was called Oliver Wyman Labs. Mm. It was really focused on data engineering, data science, decision-making tools, um, and sort of rapid application development to support a lot of the consulting work we did. That then became uh, one of the founding pieces of our digital practice, which I Ah. then went on to run. Mm -hmm. Um, And that got me involved in many of the digital transformation challenges of many of uh, our clients in a lot of different sectors. Yes. Um, And so I started to find myself being drawn closer and closer um, into this technology mm-hmm. space, because we all know you no business really succeeds now without having figured out how to bring technology um, to the way that it operates in an mm-hmm. effective manner. Um, so I ended up doing some consulting work for my predecessor in this job, ah, working on what the technology mm-hmm. strategy should be for Marshall McLennan. Right. At the end of which, I was persuaded that perhaps... I ought to um, see if my cooking tasted as good as I thought it did. Yes. And uh, <laughs> and come on and, and try and lead that transformation um, yeah. by actually taking on the management role. So that's what I did. Well, and I, I love it's an unusual career tra- uh, transition because most of the, especially CIOs that I know, get to some point where they themselves go into consulting. <laughs> and a lot of times they're frustrated with it because they bring their great advice to the table, and it doesn't get followed. And so a lot of them end up transitioning back into CIO roles because there's something about having your hands on the wheel, as it were. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I worked with a number of ex-CIOs in my digital practice who experienced exactly that. It was a a real Mm -hmm. challenge for them. And I'm certainly enjoying the rather more direct path between strategy and execution. Mm -hmm. The great fear when you leave consulting is that uh, you end up losing the variety. Yes. Um, that you have within consulting. But I've certainly not found that to be a big problem um, right. for us. There's an enormous amount of stuff 
going on. Um, it, it's mm-hmm. fascinating. It keeps me interested. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. Well, and uh, you made a remark about how, uh, especially because of all the issues and challenges during the pandemic, that uh, essentially tech... It, Technology organizations are winning the argument now that technology can be the answer to delivering the future. And yes. I love that remark. I thought that it was just a really, it's a very elegant way to put what is really a lot of nuts and bolts about making everything working together. Um, talk a, a little bit more about uh, your views on the CIO role and the way it's balancing all those different business and technology and people and risk issues. Yes, so it's uh, it's a broad scope of responsibility, mm-hmm. um, and um, I'm blessed that I've got a very strong team who take care of the day to day aspects of that on so many fronts um, all the time, mm-hmm. and that allows me to focus on some of the more long term um, uh, sort of transformational parts of the role. Mm-hmm. But the there's a lot that happens within um, an IT organization that is. Uh, a lot of work to make sure things don't go wrong that hopefully no one ever sees and therefore is often underappreciated. Yeah. The keeping the lights on. Yeah. We're keeping on the lights on. I think almost it downplays too much, quite how much discipline focus um, and, and care is taken to make sure that keeping the lights on is easy. Well, and how complex business processes are. And because I know we're going to talk more about that Um, when we were getting ready for this interview, you talked about the way um, applications as the focus is often the wrong way to look at things because you have to look underneath it at the business process. And that may involve several different applications that need to come into play. And of course, that speaks to the complexity of it. Absolutely. I've, Mm. I've increasingly been coming to the view that applications are a problem. Um, in terms mm-hmm. of the way that they shape how IT organizations work. Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. the, I mean, see if I can describe the, what I see as the issue. So companies like to give senior management attention to things that are big problems. Mm-hmm. It's not worth senior management spending their time on small things. And therefore, in order to get something to happen that involves technology – you have to make it a big enough problem with a big enough prize to get the attention, to get funded, and to go somewhere. Okay. And so you tend to bundle a lot of things together to create something that is big enough. Ah, like an omnibus bill Quite, for IT absolutely. spending. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and because you do that, for a lot of people um, within the business, this might be the only chance in the next three to five years to get all the things that they want okay. to happen. Mm-hmm. So they have to throw it in as well. Yeah. And the answer to that, when you're tackling a broad scope of things in one go to a deadline and under funding pressure, um, is to the gravitational force brings you back to building one thing. And it's very difficult to maintain the discipline not to build a monolith. Ah, an ERP system. Well, indeed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And of course, that is an expensive thing to do. It's also a thing that locks in a level of capability that is very hard to change later. Mm-hmm. And so what you achieve now slows down what you can achieve later because you have to unpick all the compromises you made along the way. Right. Um, and of course, now it's big, expensive, risky, so you have to pile in risk mitigation mm-hmm. and governance around it, and that makes it bigger and more expensive and in some ways riskier. Yeah. So I, I slightly facetiously sometimes um, call this approach prepaying for failure. 
Um, unfortunately, you <laughs> also... must be popular with the CEO. <laughs> well, quite. Unfortunately, yeah. you also pay for failure on the back end as well. Yeah. And so we've been looking at trying to find a different way to go about this that comes back to what we're actually trying to model. Mm-hmm. What we're actually trying to model are the business processes. Those are our building blocks. If you think about the process and the individual tasks as discrete steps along the way... Yes. Your standard is simply, can I make this better mm-hmm. in a step? And then I can take another step later and then another step later. I don't have to try and leap up a staircase from the bottom to the top in one go. Okay. I can go step by step by step. So we're working on trying to create a framework that lets us do that systematically across our business. And so this is an enterprise architecture framework or is it more than that? It's it's an enterprise architecture framework, but it's supported by um, a choice of technologies within our stack that are designed to help us get there. Okay. Um, And it's supported by... um, Starting the process of changing how we think about how we fund projects and mm-hmm. how we agree what's going to go forward and how we release funding for them. Um, that's quite different to how we've done it before. Now we're at the yeah. early stages of this and we certainly haven't mastered this yet, but I've we've seen some good early wins. Well, and I've been having a lot more really interesting and going down different kind of pathway conversations with CIOs recently about the different ways that they're doing their IT funding and budgeting because of the way work has changed over the last. That's why there's so many future of work summits and episodes going on in different shows and everything, because the way that people are working together and the way we use technology took in some ways so many great steps forward during these pandemic years. And that is actually starting to have a, a long echo effect in the way budgets are put together. Um, the um, Before we get into that any further, mm-hmm. I wanted to circle back. I said in your introduction how uh, complex and global your business is, Marsh McLennan. Yes. So take a minute to tell us about how it's organized in the different pieces and how your role as the enterprise CIO is uh, not changing all of that, but approaching it in a different way. Yep. So Marsh McLennan's been going through an evolution fairly continuously for a little while now, Mm -hmm. where each of those four businesses were fairly um, independent in terms of the way they operated. Um, We've long had a shared infrastructure organization since about 2006, and that's done great things in terms of getting, raising standards in terms of how we manage infrastructure, in terms of how we handle security and driving a lot of cost out. Mm -hmm. But other than that, the businesses effectively operated reasonably independently. over time, we've been coming closer and closer together, both from a commercial perspective and mm-hmm. looking for ways to leverage the, that expertise for the benefit of clients more systematically, but also from an operating model perspective. And technology okay. has been um, one of the areas we've probably had more dramatic shift in the last little while than anywhere else. Yeah, I would think so. So when mm-hmm. I came in as the deputy CIO, Um, We were just at the start of a process of bringing the technology organizations together into one group. Mm -hmm. Um, So we formed what we now call MMC Tech. Mm -hmm. Um, The solid line reporting relationships for the CIOs of those groups now run into me. Mm -hmm. That was previously, my predecessor was um, a sort of coordinator um, of, of the different IT functions rather than um, sort of leader of the of the combined group. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really put us in a much better place to leverage our scale, um, to, to deal with 
you know, basic things like standardization, reuse of technology, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, managing our negotiating leverage and, and so on. But the four businesses camouflage the real complexity of the business. Um, trying to manage four businesses in four different sectors and um, find an effective way to build a technology organization to support that yeah. is fairly difficult. I would think. Um, but actually, when you dig into <laughs> mm -hmm. each one of those, they all have a collection of businesses within them. So mm -hmm. within Oliver Wyman, we have Nero and we have Lippincott. And within Marsh, we have Victor and we have uh, Marsh McLennan Agency. And mm -hmm. Mercer, we have Metal and Darwin and a number of other things and, and so on. So there's all this complexity under the surface as well. Yeah, it's a huge matrix. Absolutely. In a way, yeah. And it's one mm -hmm. of the reasons that as we've built the strategy for MMC Tech, while we are now one team... We've been very, very clear this is not a centralization strategy. Yeah, so it's interesting. When we were talking about this earlier, and you made that point, it's not centralization. Right. It sounded, it sounds initially like, oh, it's the pendulum swinging back from decentralized to centralized, but it's something new. It's, no, I think it's that, a combination. I think centralization yeah. is a trap. Okay. Um, and the, in many ways, one of the most difficult things um, that I find in my role is, is the balancing act. It's walking that tightrope mm. between driving enough consistency and coordination to get better results out of the combined team and to show that it is stronger together mm -hmm. and not ending up driving business strategy inappropriately through the back door or okay. failing to understand the complexity and the variation that's within all those different organizations, which we, um, which is too complicated for, for, any central team to master on its own. We have to be, um, we have to have real partnership with all of those parts mm -hmm. of the business down locally um, in each of those areas. Otherwise, we're going to be delivering stuff that doesn't meet their needs. Right. And that's the usual complaint, especially with a big far-flung company around yeah. the globe is, oh, they just don't understand back in the head office. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They must have a hard time saying that to you though, because you've been out working amongst so many of them in, in your previous role through the digital practices. Well, I think, I think that helps. They're, <laughs> they're very welcome to say it to me and I encourage them to say it to me if they think that it is, it is the case. Oh, Okay. <laughs> um, because as I say, this is, this is the tightrope that I'm trying mm -hmm. to walk. Yes. Um, but uh, I think because I've worked for so many different companies in my consulting career, mm -hmm. because I've um, been a, a customer of this organization within Oliver Wyman for 23 years before I was involved in leading it, yeah. um, I think I've got a pretty good level of sensitivity as to how this is all experienced when you get to the the front line of the business. And okay. that's the important thing that we, we don't um, win or lose um, in the marketplace with our technology directly. Mm -hmm. We win or lose you know, with clients. With what you deliver. Against our competitors, yeah. with the quality of what we deliver. And technology is a massively important enabler of that and of our operational efficiency. Mm -hmm. But it's not the front line. Right. The business itself and the business process is more on the front line right. with the technology fueling it, accelerating it, enabling it. Um, back, in my, um, back in my retail days, one of the things that I'm mm -hmm. most proud of uh, is a little vignette, mm -hmm. um, because I think the same thing is true in retail. The front line is the stores. Yes. Um, Storefront operations is everything. Encourage, encouraging mm -hmm. a retailer to rename corporate headquarters store support center to 
Mm. help them think about culturally how important it is to think about where you're actually winning. Because it is natural mm -hmm. um, at the center of a big organization to feel like you're sitting on top of it all. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a dangerous, uh, a dangerous way of thinking. <laughs> well, what are, um, uh, you'd mentioned, of course, when you, uh, you, so it's not a big centralization project, but um, you are definitely, you have shared services, you're bringing various parts together. And I know that that saves money, that gives you greater s scalability yeah. in areas. You also had mentioned that it does different things in an unlocking innovation. Talk about that a little bit. Innovation is one of those big, fuzzy, feel-good words, I guess, um, that everybody, leadership and innovation and digital transformation, all that stuff. And tell us a story about some innovation that has been unlocked this way. Yeah, so I think, I think innovation, you're right, it's a very fuzzy word. It's something yeah. we all like to feel we're doing, but innovation <laughs> for the sake of it um, – isn't something we're in the business of innovation yeah. for the I sake never, of I never even know what people mean when they say that innovation for the sake of it. It's sort of like, well, I mean, I think it, if you're doing, you know, primary scientific research on, ah, on things, you know, fair yeah. enough. Um, fair enough. But I see, I'd call that R and D. Yeah. You know, and well, you probably were doing a bit of that in the labs. It was the, at. Oh all yes, absolutely. One. And we yeah. have, and we have lab groups within a mm -hmm. uh, sort of broader tech uh, universe within Marsh McLennan that, that are doing some of that as well. I think mm -hmm. that's important. I think it helps make sure you're um, in touch with all the different capabilities that are out there. You're thinking ahead mm -hmm. um, and, um, and and thinking about the ways that technology can change how you operate. Yes. And whether it's an external disruption or what you can, what opportunities you can find for yourself. Yeah. But I, I think of my role very much as um, – perhaps my most important responsibility is to raise the speed limit of the business as a whole um, and to find ways to sort of ungum what can often be slow bureaucratic processes. Yes. Um, what can be um, uh, slow, expensive ways of doing things and replace them with faster and more nimble ones. Mm -hmm. um, and the structure that we've created is designed to enable that um, so that we are – leveraging our scale and standardizing around things the where we can invest mm -hmm. to be able to unlock, to streamline, to simplify, to allow things to go straight through. So to give an example, we, we are, um, I'm sure we're not unique in this, but we have a, a strategy um, to develop our sort of operating system, our platform uh, mm -hmm. as a service, um, which embeds our controls, our processes directly within it so that someone picking up a new project doesn't have to spend the time worrying about how to meet those controls because they're fundamentally built into the platform. Mm -hmm. I've given a challenge wow. to my team, um, which uh, we've, I think we've hit once, um, but we'll hit it increasingly often as we go forward, which is we need to be able to conceive a project on Monday and get it into production on Friday of the same week. And everything that's getting in the way of our ability to do that mm -hmm. is something we need to be focusing on, on engineering out. Now, we won't do that for most of our projects, clearly. Right. Um, but we should be able to do it for some of our projects. And that's partly about how we define what a project is. Okay. Yeah. So back to the point about applications and processes. You can't build an application in five days. You can take on a step in a process and make it better. 
if you've got a scaffolding that you can hang it on that allows you to just make that step better. Right. And you can show it a little more visually actually with, in fact, this reminds me, you had said one of the examples of the the innovation and the changes is you have a development center of excellence now that you did not have before. Um, That might be a good one to talk a little bit more about because since we're on the Monday to Friday goal there. So so that group is um, right in the heart of, figuring out how to meet that challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they're both helping our development teams all around the organization, um, bringing bringing them um, better coaching and and, and structure around uh, agile development practices. But Mm -hmm. they're they're an arm of my um, enterprise architecture group. Ah. We've decided that enterprise architecture is obviously an important discipline. Yes. But I want it to be more than um, sort of rule setting, more than a policeman role. Mm. I want the translation of our architectural strategy into the toolkit that we give people to be tightly linked. Okay. So if we say that our strategic platform for deploying stuff mm-hmm. um, is, we call it OSS2, it's fundamentally Kubernetes based, mm-hmm. um, and our code repository is GitHub, the tools need to be there. So that when someone someone can get a repo on GitHub, they can get it quickly. It comes with the deployment pipelines automatically that get you mm-hmm. to that platform. That platform embeds within it the security controls that we need mm-hmm. so that the development team doesn't have to spend a lot of time worrying about it. So the partnership between that development center of excellence, mm-hmm. who have the developer angle on this and represent them, yeah. and my um, MGTI team, my global infrastructure team, who are building and own the platform, is mm. a really important one for being able to build that capability out. Interesting. But also doing things like building out template projects. Um, so again, you can pick up something that is a secure, standards-based, deployable um, project, mm-hmm. uh, application. I shouldn't say application, but I'm going to say application. I know, because we were trashing applications just a little um, while ago. <laughs> that that um, you can get up and running within an hour or so, mm-hmm. actually deployed. Now, it doesn't do what you need it to. It's an empty shell, if you like. It's a yeah. secure empty shell that deploys. But it's more than a PowerPoint presentation. Well, quite. <laughs> and so quite. then you can do what you need to inside mm-hmm. that, and you have all the toolkit and the standards-based approach. And so it gives you a much faster way to get there. So they're, okay. they're building out things like that to help yeah. um, speed us up. Well, and I know we're, uh, later we're going to touch a little bit more on the the enterprise data strategy and how that ties into being able to do all this. But we have a question from our alert and listening and watching audience. (laughs) And it's perfect because we're here talking about development and that leads you to think about talent. How are you addressing and navigating the tech talent shortage? What have you seen? What has uh, Marsh McLennan, MMC Tech, what have you experienced through the great resignation? How are things going with that? How do you, how are you approaching tech talent? And I, I find it's a question I ask over and over and always with CIOs because it's innovation, cybersecurity, and talent are the top three on everybody's yes. kind of concern list. Yes. Uh, so speak to talent. What do you have to tell us on that? So the talent um, story over the pandemic has been interesting. What we haven't mm-hmm. seen is a great resignation. Um, we've seen an increase in attrition more recently in some places. Mm-hmm. Um but until recently, it's predominantly looked like it's a delayed attrition that we would have had in the height of the pandemic that we didn't have. 
Okay. So if you sort of stack the two years. Oh, it's sort of like an echo of it. Over that entire mm-hmm. period of time, we probably had less attrition in total than we would have done in a normal two years. Okay. But that's not to say it's not a problem. It's not to say we're not worried about it. Um, and, it, you know, making sure you um, have the best talent and hang on to the best talent is mm-hmm. obviously enormously important for us. Um, it's a very competitive marketplace. Um, yep. there's certainly, um, it's certainly a tough um, marketplace to hire in right now. Mm-hmm. There are some places where we're having to build pipeline ahead of demand to make sure that we've got people ready to go when attrition inevitably happens to make sure we're um, in good shape. That's particularly true in India. Interesting. Um, but yeah. I think the other thing is, my, my hope is that good talent will stay with us because they're excited about the work they do. Mm-hmm. They're seeing the ability to have more impact. They're spending less time dealing with frustrating processes and more time creating value. Yeah. And importantly, and this is an area that I think we've made some progress, but we have further to go. Mm-hmm. We're able to sketch a career path for them that shows them where they're going, not just now, but two years from now, five years from now. What mm. are the things that they, um, what can they see their career developing into? Because if you don't provide an internal outlet for people's ambition, yeah. you either get unambitious people, which is not going to drive the type of organization we want to be, mm-hmm. um, or you lose them. And so one of the good things about the creation of MMC Tech as a structure mm. has been actually there are more career paths available now than there were when you were within one business's IT organization or you were within one of the um, constituent entities because people can move across, they can develop broader skills from doing that, they can round themselves out um, and uh, and build their careers that way. Can they also move in and out of the tech organization into different areas of the business and then come back? I know can. that can, I see I was often talk about that, but then they find it difficult to practice it because they're losing a really talented <laughs> I mean, everyone person. Finds it, everyone <laughs> finds it hard to let people yeah. go. Um, yeah. I actually think we've been, um, I think we've been pretty good. My, my, mm-hmm. The leaders of my various teams, I think, have been uh, actually remarkably good about mm-hmm. um, lateral movement between teams and and what they get for it. Good. Um, good. It's certainly created problems, but it's uh, it's all been done in the right spirit. In and out of IT, it certainly happens. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I couldn't tell you that happens particularly particularly more often or less often than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Well, people do self-select into IT jobs and career paths, mainly because they really didn't want to work in marketing and they didn't want to do business development. You know, I mean, there are there are definite um, predilections, I think, especially that draw people into technology. Um, I had another question I wanted to ask about that. And I think now it's flying out of my head. Oh, you had mentioned that you're doing uh, that MMC Tech has strengthened entry level recruiting, uh, yes. going after the you know it may be hard to find, but there's more and more talent coming out of colleges and universities. Yep. How has that changed? So uh, early days, but we're starting mm-hmm. to um, build up a program that we ha- really haven't had for a long time. Again, mm-hmm. outside of India. Um, it sort of comes back to that point about career. If you're going to offer people careers, you have to make sure that the people who are within your existing team can grow into more senior roles. If yes. you only hire laterally for people who have vast amounts of pre-existing experience, mm-hmm. um, then you, you aren't offering the opportunities for your internal people. Right. And if you're doing that and you're moving them up, then you have to replace 
from the bottom of the organization mm -hmm. rather than just sort of uh, uniformly throughout the entire pyramid. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it's necessary for us to bring people in at early stages in their careers. So let them grow their careers with us. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we get a lot of um, we get a lot of talent, a lot of energy that way. And, and but it, importantly, it also creates a system where um, we're focusing on people being able to grow their careers over the long run. Yeah, yeah. Um, rather than you know you, you your career grows only by moving somewhere else. Yes, and and that is a very stultifying effect in industries where the only way you can get ahead or make more money is essentially to leave and go to a competitor. Right. And of course, in the management consulting and global practices, there are lots of big, well-known brand names in that that you probably don't want to lose people to. Well, we right. have another question, and I think you'll like this. It's right up your strategic alley here. How do you integrate multiple narratives from dis different businesses into a larger narrative for a coordinated strategic plan? Aha. Uh -huh. Aha. Uh -huh. that's, that's kind of that. That that's should be right question. up your alley. Yeah. So um, I think partly by choosing where you're writing the narrative. Hmm. So I'm not attempting to write the narrative of how um, Mercer best competes in its career segment. Okay. Um, that's that Mercer's narrative to write. Right. Our job is to um, help them bring the technology to play in the right way. Mm -hmm. um, we actually ran through an exercise uh, beginning of last year to define what the MMC tech culture should be. Mm-hmm. And because we had different cultures from all the constituent parts of the team yeah, um, that had just evolved naturally because they were evolved in different businesses or they were um, playing different functional roles. And what we did was we ran a bottom-up exercise to canvas the entire organization about what they thought was important. Mm -hmm. And um, perhaps not, not to our great surprise, but encouragingly, mm -hmm. what came back was the kind of things that you'd want to hear. Um, they wanted to... They recognized we needed to be stronger together, um, mm -hmm. that we needed to be agile, that we needed to be risk-aware, um, that we um, needed to focus on um, technical and operational excellence. Um, and I'm going to have to remind myself because I can always... Um, Perfectly okay. I'm working from notes. Exactly. You're entitled to as well. And, then, and, yep. and of course, I've missed the most important one of all, which is to be customer-focused and to recognize mm. that we're not the important ones in the system. We're mm -hmm. part of the system, but what we're focusing on is clients and our, and our own customers. Yeah. So that's what came up um, sort of organically from the group. And we've helped rally around that because it came up organically. It's not completely divorced from what was already the um, foundational cultures it's of those teams. It's more you're codifying what was reality. Absolutely. Yeah. And then our, our shared mission, as opposed to our separate missions, our shared mission is around raising the speed limit. It's around mm -hmm. um, being a better organization, delivering better technology faster and cheaper mm -hmm. to our businesses. And everyone has that challenge. Yes. Yeah. There are some things I, I you know, I've, I've been, I ask about sometimes agility and speed of the organization. And, you know, sometimes I get a little bit of a cross-eyed look from CIOs. They're like, when was that not important? Right. You know, and, and it really is. But I was thinking of the, um, 
in terms of pulling everything together into the strategic narrative, you had told me something about it was a, a, a policy document that went from 130 pages to just 29. It was yes. about strategy. T- tell me what that was, because you said now you've got something that people will actually read. Right. Well, so mm. a big focus in, mm-hmm. in sort of ungumming things is to simplify. And mm-hmm. one of the things that um, gets creepingly complex over time are um, policies and controls and governance forums and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important, um, but it's also not what gets most people particularly excited. We've recently created a policy council to um, review and manage all of our policies across technology. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one they've gone after is our information security policies. Perfect. As part of mm-hmm. that, we um, move from 10 different documents of 130 pages in total to one. And it's, it's probably just grown because this happens. It's now 33, not 29, Uh-oh. but maybe we can squeeze <laughs> it back down again. Um, but certainly Smaller significantly less than, than it was before. <laughs> yeah. Um, which um, it, it's just, it, it's, it clarifies what's needed. It draws the connection back to the controls better. Um, it's more accessible and digestible mm-hmm. and um, therefore much more likely to be consistently followed without, um, and, and earlier in the process, rather than being caught later and causing more mm-hmm. um, time and rework when we get to that stage. Okay. And we're working through more and more policies like that um, on a systematic basis, but also anything that isn't uh, the direct delivery of value um, in the in the form of you know features within the applications we're building or um, mm-hmm. within the um, the projects we're delivering. Yeah. Well, and you'd mentioned too when we talked previously that you've done a lot of work on the different platforms. We were talking about self-service capabilities that were needed, and you referred to something you called the golden path through yes. the process, have it clear and signposted. Yes. That sounds like something almost anybody could follow, but the, this, you're talking about very specific, is this business processes well, so, or so technology? So back to that five-day challenge. Ah, um, mm-hmm. the, the aim here is to be clear. We can't afford to simplify everything. No, right. that's why legacy and technical debt is still Absolutely. existing because it would be so horrendously right. expensive and to if just we, try to replace it. If we it. let mm-hmm. the organization loose on any technology that happens to take their fancy this week, yeah. um, and I know because I still play around with stuff myself, mm-hmm. it's very easy to get excited by something because it looks cool and yes. new. And the organization is thankfully full of people who get excited by things like that. Yeah, you actually want those people. You want that. You know, absolutely. that are experts in Kubernetes. Right. And, but yeah. we can't mm-hmm. streamline the sort of ancillary surrounding processes for absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. So we have to pick. We have to pick the sort of strategic core of how we want to do things and streamline that. That is the golden path. If mm. you follow this, then um, you can pretty much get down to – writing the you know the capabilities you need, putting the features in. You don't have to worry about the other stuff because it's taken care of. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you deploy on OSS2, our strategic platform, um, all the security is built in. You don't have to spend separate time wow. figuring out how to scan the, your code and mm-hmm. um, make sure that the firewall rules are right and all that sort of stuff. It's all dealt with. Interesting. Whereas if you do something else, then you're sort of on your own. Now... Not everything, so that's the golden path, the simple, straightforward, easy way through. Mm -hmm. And the key is to tell people that that's what it is. 
and they have a choice. You don't have to do that because it actually won't oh, work for everything. That's well, that's just psychologically the smart. The consequences yeah. of not choosing to go down that path <laughs> are you're choosing to go down a different path. Yeah. So the the sort of mental analogy I have is you know, you're approaching the edge of a dark forest. Mm-hmm. There's a road paved straight through the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Your goal is to get to the other side of the forest. Do you want to get – I just follow the road. I want you to just follow the road. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way. Yeah. Now, there may be reasons why you can't. You maybe um, need to take a detour. There's, there may be um, – Something like a, a good example is you might need to be able to connect from some service that runs in our DMZ to something on the internal network. We don't okay. allow that. Ah, So mm-hmm. you've got to find a way to allow that communication to happen that's secure. Mm-hmm. So that happens often enough that we want to say there's a path here. It's not a road, it's a path. Mm-hmm. We've designed a preferred approach for this. We've pre-approved it. Use that. Don't invent something new. Mm-hmm. Um so there are detours that we're trying to sign as detours. They're not going to be as easy as the road, but they are ways that you can get there that we've done before, we've thought through. They're not going to be that painful. Hmm. And then there's blundering off into the trees. <laughs> we want to stop people blundering off into the trees. It's like that and, moment in horror movies where the girl decides exactly. to run into the dark forest rather than toward the lights. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was also making me think of the Tina Turner song about doing things nice and easy or nice and rough. <laughs> you know? <laughs> The um, you we had also talked about um, a big. In fact, I want to revisit this because you said applications are often themselves the problem, and I, I found that especially entertaining because we have a vast vendor community and technology providers who are very busy selling every application and every piece of it as the solution. And I wonder if we haven't just kind of been gradually brainwashed over the decades to see applications as a solution to a problem. Um, So I really like that out-of-the-box thinking where the application is more of the problem. Yeah, and let me be clear that our vendors provide us many really important yes, things. Yes, yes, and we're not, to we're not we throwing them under the bus. Um, no, I know that, but, but, I, but I also think the rhetoric. That, absolutely. I also think mm. that there are, um, there are traps here because what tends to happen is these things have a um, gravitational attraction and they suck features mm-hmm. into them. And so they get more varied and more complicated over time. And when mm-hmm. that happens, they're harder to unpick later. I I like to, um, I hope this isn't universally the case, but I like to start from the assumption that pretty much every decision we make today, we're going to regret five years from now. And so starting to hmm. think now about how we're going to unpick this decision when something better has come along is a good discipline. Interesting. Huh. Things that... Kind of like a prenup. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> Quite. A technology prenup. I don't apply this to my personal life. No, no, of course not. <laughs> but, um, but I think the, that discipline is useful, and it, it also explains why I think there's a, a danger in the sort of black hole application whether yeah. that's an application you're building that's sucking in new requirements okay, or it's something that you've bought that you keep trying to customize around rather than saying uh, it fits in this box. What I, what I need in terms of sort of differentiated experiences and agile improvements and enhancements to this for my processes mm-hmm. has, should sit around it. Because those are the things I'm much more likely to change. If I buy the right application, it'll last me for a long time if I don't try and do too much with it. 
Okay. The stuff that I'm going to change much more frequently to support an ever-evolving business yeah. is the stuff that needs to be small, lightweight, easy to decouple, easy to change in an incremental and atomic uh, way. Like microservices. Like microservices uh, yeah. or micro front ends mm-hmm. or um, you know, simple process task runners, those sorts of things. An assembly of those things is inherently easier to change. Yes, that makes sense. And given I yeah. will probably want to change them all in the next five years at some level, or at least want the ability to, mm-hmm. then that's a that's an important part of doing it. Plus, back to the point about funding these projects and what the funding models are, mm-hmm. taking on one of those is a relatively small, easy to agree to uh, project. Right. You're not signing on to, to the omnibus bill. Exactly. bill. Yeah. Well, and I, um, I know we've had many, over many years, we've had people, uh, speakers get up and talk about trying to decouple or uncouple from a massive, like, you know, a manufacturing, an MES system or an ERP system. And I remember how much the game started changing five, even five to 10 years ago with new technologies, with microservices. And I would think on the flip side, that also attracts the, those talented people that you want in your development Absolutely. center of excellence because yep. they actually do get to play with new it's not play they get to work with you know work and play it's work. good when they're close it and and if you're not sure which one you're actually doing right uh, that's good too i also i uh, every time you talk about increasing the speed of the organization and the speed of the response i like that so much because i've always viewed technology this is my my prejudice against the word alignment you know about how i don't i don't like to think of technology leaders as needing to align technology with business strategy i like the accelerate word you know, yes. accelerate with business strategy. And that just feels like more fun for everybody. Yeah, and when you talk about increasing the speed of the organization, we have a question from our, our listening audience. Um, Paul, as a CIO, how are you helping businesses become agile and respond to changes faster? And I'm assuming there that he doesn't mean the technology organization, because we've already talked a lot about that, but then the individual businesses themselves. So if you've got a good, um, yeah. you've got a good anecdotal example you can pull up, that would be great. Yeah. So uh, I think I mentioned earlier, one of the things we do in our development um, center of excellence is we have an agile coaching capability that we've built up um, oh, internally. We hadn't talked about that yet. Which helped mm-hmm. help support those teams, but you can't do agile in isolation. Um, no, it has to the be technology teams can tech. want yeah. to, um, but if they don't have the enabling technology to move at the speed they need to, which we've talked about, mm-hmm. and the business isn't prepared to be part of that exercise and engage in that way, it doesn't really work. And so that right. coaching is at least as much about working with the business on things. Mm. Um, and so I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is part of the responsibility I think we have to make sure that we aren't simply trying to align with business strategy mm-hmm. is to um, show possibility to yes. the business and to show what technology can do for them. And the examples that we have um, in some of our labs areas you know, skunkworks projects we do from time to time, Mm -hmm. or even just a great project from business unit A that we're showing off in business unit B or C. Right. That shows the speed that you can move at when you get things right and -hmm. the impact that it can have. Um, I think is, uh, I think 
helps the business understand the value. Agile's got a little bit of um, a bad rep in some businesses because I think companies have, have, the IT departments have bought into it and the business partners generally haven't to quite the same extent. And mm-hmm. so you can end up with this perception that it's an excuse not to have figured out up front what it is you're going to do and how. <laughs> and it's just a free for all. Because you're, Not the you're so busy dis- having stand up meetings and, exactly. you know, that kind yeah, of stuff. Bit, yeah. It's not the highly disciplined process that it has to be. And so right. showing the wins, showing the things that you have turned around in mm-hmm. a few days. Uh, so we, so we, um, we had to build a sanctions tracker for um, tracking Russian sanctions and whether to make sure that we weren't violating any of them. Okay. Um, you know, one of the, the teams in my corporate um, information solutions area. Uh, managed to knock something up in about four days to do that, and so that's that a made great it example within the Monday to Friday. Yeah, and is it being used? It is. Yeah, where it needs to be. Yep, but it's that's also great. it's also an example of what is possible. And as you, we we're working on within our own organization raising our own belief as to what is possible. Mm-hmm. But we also are working on the re- with the rest of the organization their belief in what is possible and what we can mm-hmm. um, what we can be the answer to. Well, and this must appeal so greatly to a lot of your, uh, especially your greatest technology talent, because who doesn't love a problem that looks insoluble and <laughs> that they get to actually put their hands on it and then to do something within a few days? Yeah. That is, I could see how that could be a big talent magnet. Yep. Um, and it's just, I was thinking when you were talking about the ability to show, to kind of like bring the, you're bringing the future to the present in a way saying, here's what we could do yep. and let us mock something up for you. Um, I remember years ago, someone told me that, uh, um, the ultimate marketing goal was to give people something they never knew they always wanted. <laughs> yes. And, I, and, and when IT can do that, yes. it's like, it changes perceptions about, technology. And, you know, I really like to think that overall technology will start becoming a more appealing profession, you know, that when we won't, because I feel like we've been talking about the talent crisis and the talent challenge and the shortages for the entire time that I've been an editor and a journalist in technology. It goes back forever. Um, And it that it may be like the problem of, you know, like what's wrong with the public schools? You know, everybody's always got something to say about that. And I feel like that happens with technology too. Um, one of the, um, I want to pivot over. You had another example that we talked about briefly about how you're leveraging things that happen in different areas of MMC tech. And you, one of your examples was the team at Mercer leading the charge in the uh, reorganization and the development teams. Oh, yes. Yeah. I thought that that was a a good example of the way you're cross-pollinating and sharing ideas. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, each each of the um, different teams that make up MMC Tech was ahead in some areas and behind in others. Mm -hmm. And so just sharing across the strengths of of different areas and um, having it be be better taken advantage of everywhere Mm -hmm. else has, has been great. Mercer... Um, have had been going through a transformation of their development team into a pods and squads model. Mm-hmm. Um, they've also been leading the charge on uh, what they call metered funding, um, where more projects start as a um, quick, rapid test and learn phase before getting access to the money to actually sort of fully develop them. Mm-hmm. A lot of ideas then get killed at that first stage, so we don't 
spend on the wrong things. Right. Um, and that's significantly um, sped up. And that's now being cut across uh, into Marsh and Guy Carpenter. And and I think um, it's already been partly adopted at Oliver Wyman. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that model has been a great um, source of very tangible evidence that this can work. And it's much easier to get people to buy into something that is um, already demonstrated yeah. than something that's a theoretical construct. So where we have things that have, areas that have led like that, it's, uh, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things we've done, uh, Oliver Wyman had a team that um, supported end-user computing that was separate um, mm-hmm. from the main um, group within a global infrastructure area. Um, that's obviously enormously important for consultants because they live on their laptops. Yes, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah, that's why it. Yeah, you made but you made the point at one at one juncture when we were talking that you're not trying to create self driving cars. You know, right. this, this is advice and consulting. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so those teams were brought together, mm-hmm. and by being able to join forces, they've been able to bring some really good wins to the end user experience. The one that I um, that jumps to mind is we've been going through. Um, upgrades of the Microsoft Office suite on everyone's computers, which used to be a multi-hour process where someone would lose access for a while, can now be run in the background and and the user only loses access for, I think, about eight minutes. Nice. Because those teams Mm -hmm. have been able to collaborate and bring that expertise to everyone, that's impacting 82,000 people. Yes. Uh, That's a lot of minutes. That adds up. That is. And that's a lot of people feeling very happy thoughts well, sadly, about probably, their tech organization. Sadly, they probably didn't notice because they didn't oh. get to compare one the that, other side by side. That's kind of the downside with you getting it. My mother used to say, don't be too wonderful. So, you know? so one of the things that we've been doing, which yeah. I think technology organizations are generally not great at, mm-hmm. is a bit of internal marketing. Thank goodness. We've done yes. an enormous amount of stuff for colleagues over the last two years. Um, the pandemic has absolutely accelerated how people work and use technology yes and it's accelerated what we deliver to them but it all happens at different points in time it's a lot Mm -hmm. of it's invisible um so we've actually gone out and we put together a nice video explaining all the things that we've given them and that's great you know put it in front of them to make sure that they understood that all this work is going on to continually improve their experience and Mm -hmm. we're going to keep doing that on a regular basis because if you don't talk about it um, it's taken for granted. That's right. And I'm I'm just so happy to hear that because I think for the last five to 10 years, I've been harping on this point with all my CIO friends. It's it's like going into someone's LinkedIn profile and they haven't updated it in five years. And it's sort of like, and you talk about wanting to attract technology talent, you know, right. they're, it, it, CIOs used to think that marketing that way was beneath them somehow. But I think everybody has just kind of gotten that religion finally, which yeah. is, it's it's a huge improvement. Um, we have a very big picture question for you. And then I want to make sure in our last few minutes, I have a couple other things I wanted to ask you about. So how do you align your technology transformation with organizational change? This is... Another kind of with organizational change. I don't know whether to tell you to put on your consulting experience hat there or your CIO hat, or maybe it's somehow both. I mean, I think I think mm. that organizational change is a tool within transformation. I mean, the mm-hmm. way we are organized to deliver against our goals is an important part of it. Yes. So um you know, simply changing the reporting lines of the business unit CIOs to go into the enterprise CIO 
mm-hmm. changes the ability to create a sense of shared team, a sense of um, uh, kind of commonality of approach. Okay. Um, that you'd think shouldn't make as much difference as it does, but it does. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, we, we created a new shared service called um, Application Management Services. So it's basically taking a lot of the um, stable part of the application estate mm-hmm. and moving the support and maintenance of that, plus a lot of our um, database management into a group um, that does a lot of, in theory, a lot of the same things that were already being done by many of the same people within the businesses when when okay. that capability sat there. Mm-hmm. But by putting it in a group, by by having them focus on that alone, it changes how people think about the relative importance of that. And so we're getting a massively different level of innovation in how that stuff is being tackled. Interesting. Simply yeah. because it is in a group and that is their, their sole area of responsibility. So that's driving a lot more automation into areas that were lightly yeah. automated before. Uh, we're changing our resourcing model with respect to what we do and what vendors do that's mm-hmm. proved to be um, a driver of cost savings, yep. but also allowed us to divert a lot of um, resource onto enhancement that was previously simply mm-hmm. run the business spend. Um, so organization is a tool in in how you transform. And organizations that have well-defined goals that align with where your transformation is trying to take you Mm-hmm. Um, are an important aspect of getting there, I think. Well, and it establishes mission and purpose and, yes. and ownership, Yes, which everybody, that idea of agency uh, is something that I think we've, well, we seem to be paying a lot more attention overall to human emotions than we, we talk about it a lot more openly now right. in uh, at IT leadership levels than we ever did before. And I, I can't see any downside to that. Well, it's the people it's, who do the work. Yes. And the system is <laughs> mm-hmm. as much about how you get all those people to work together mm-hmm. um, as it is about the technology itself. Yes, yes. And I think that that message has truly, I, th- I think it truly resonates. I think it's really sunk in. I'm shocked to see we only have a few minutes remaining here. I did want to touch very quickly. Is there anything about your enterprise data strategy that either I should have asked and I didn't yet, or something that you have changed uh, about the way the teams are doing things? So we have, um, so I've actually I've got a bit of a data engineering background from my days in retail. So it's mm-hmm. an area that's close to my heart. Okay. Um, we, we have a, a lot of data, like everyone, um, structured and unstructured. Of, of Mountains and ma- mountain ranges yep. of data, right. Um, in you know hundreds, if not thousands of databases. And it's a mess. Um, <laughs> not individually in any particular area, but as a collection, it's mm-hmm. a mess. Um, the, the data tends to exist in lots of different places. Mm-hmm. It's in whatever the source system is. It's in a data warehouse. It might be in a data lake too. It's in, you know, some parts of it will be in a QA database and some parts will be in um, uh, some sub-application data mart somewhere. You want to hope it's not in an access database somewhere. <laughs> I actually, someone demonstrated something to me built on access last week. Seriously, we're talking 1990s, 1980s? Yeah, I think it was the latest version of access. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Who um, even knew there was one? Well, there you go. But anyway, um, yeah. so it's it's um, it's complex. It's hard to navigate. It's expensive because we're storing it in multiple places and we're paying for each of those places. Mm-hmm. And 
the ownership of the data is very hard to pick apart. And so if you want to get access to anything mm. and you want to go and try and create value at the intersection of our different data sources, it's quite difficult. So what we're trying to do is to try and put a layer over the top of all of this mm -hmm. to create a virtualized view on all of this information that says, I don't have to create a new data store to mash up the data from two or three existing systems. I can virtually define that. Right. I can go Excellent. back to those systems and get the data itself. Um, and I can create the views that I want to publish out to the organization for them to consume mm -hmm. and let and I can um, do things like screen out the rows and the columns that have sensitive information in, and I can mm -hmm. do that mm -hmm. based on who's requesting it um, so that I can be much more confident in letting that data flow more freely across the organization because I know that there's only one place you can go to get it. Ah. I know who can get it, and I know what's in there. And that's the built-in security of it as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And I don't Wonderful. have to deal with that in every single instance on the mm -hmm. database or data lake that I'm storing this stuff on. So that's where we're trying to move to. And um, mm -hmm. you know, some, some good early wins, but um, yeah. still thousands of databases to go. Uh, that's true. Yeah, there, there's many miles before you sleep. Yeah. And I, I just I can't let you go without answering my final question here about what the pandemic has taught you or changed in you as a leader? So um, I think the pandemic has been um, horrible in many ways, but mm -hmm. actually um, enormously helpful to the process that we've been going through in many ways. Okay. Um, I talked earlier about a lot of the hard work that IT departments do being unseen. Mm -hmm. It suddenly wasn't unseen at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. Right. The the um, IT organization were heroes. Yeah. And they yeah. were keeping the business running and it was on them that everything depended. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was really helpful in boosting the credibility of the organization at a critical time. Mm -hmm. The other thing that it's done is it's changed the way we communicate and collaborate. One of the things that um, Scott, my predecessor, and I decided to do very early on mm -hmm. was to host a hangout every Friday morning. Mm -hmm. Every Friday morning at 8.30, and it's been going on for two years now, um, we no um, sleeping in on Fridays, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, there's a half hour open invite to anyone in the organization and it's me and a guest having a chat, no prep really. Um, mm -hmm. just talking about you know, their career path, what they're up to what they're interested in. Maybe we'll highlight something good that's going on or it may just be highlighting a person or a team, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, um, it's worth the organization knowing about. And we still get a few hundred people every week um, who, are, who join in and um, some, some see it as the highlight of their week. It's, yeah. it's a real sense of connection. Well, and for a company that's in 130 com countries and has 82,000 people, right. that would be pretty hard to accomplish. Yes. Uh, and, on, and so I think it really yeah. emphasizes that flattening and that um, sort of globalization of the team in mm -hmm. the sense that it doesn't matter so much anymore whether you're in the UK or India or France or mm -hmm. Mexico or Warsaw um, because everyone's communicating in a similar way. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting as we start to go back to the office more and more. Mm -hmm. We're already seeing that some of the challenges with hybrid, some mm -hmm. of the, the plus sides too, mm -hmm. but some of the challenges of it. Um, how you maintain that sort of flatness um, yes. And that sense of inclusion for the people that aren't in the big centers. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll be watching that closely. Yes, I'm sure you will. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. Well, thank you for and having me. And it's been especially nice to have you come into our offices here in uh, Needham, Needham, Massachusetts. Uh, fortunately for us, you live just a few minutes away. And uh, this is, I think, the first time in more than two years that we've been able to have one of our guests come right in here. So thank you for that as well. And it was a great conversation. And I especially appreciated all all of the questions in the audience. Great. Thank you very much for having me. You're so very welcome. If you joined us a little bit late today, don't be kicking yourself. You can watch this late full episode later today right here on LinkedIn. Also, you'll be able to see it at the end of the day on CIO.com. And we are also present on YouTube's Tech Talk channel. CIO Leadership Live is available as an audio podcast as well, wherever you find your podcasts. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation today, this very wide-ranging conversation today with CIO Paul Beswick of Marsh McLennan, and that you will mark your calendars to join me next time at noon Eastern on Wednesday, May 18th, when we'll hear from CIO CIO Michael Steckert of Precision Medicine Group. Thanks so much for joining us today. And another thanks to our sponsor, Fairfax County Economic Development Authority. Please take a moment to subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, Tech Talk, where you can find all of our previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. Stay well, and we'll see you back here next time.